R E A R E A R E A R E A Audio Reemployability. In last week's podcast, I mentioned the first time I met retired Lieutenant Colonel Scott Mann. Picture any movie where a high-ranking military officer walks into a room. Deliberate, purposeful, focused. It was as if there was a $100 bill sitting on one of the chairs in that conference room, and he was going to get it before anyone else even saw it. Well, you would expect someone who enters a room like that to immediately give direction as to how something was going to go down, right? Well, that's not what happened at all. Scott did exactly what he talks about in today's podcast, developed connection, understood our pain, and offered a suggested solution. He even asked permission to help us out. So listen now as Scott helps us put our feelings, emotions, thoughts, and actions into a 250,000-year-old perspective. You know, it's interesting too, to me that, you know, as human beings, you talk about human connection all the time and, and you use the analogy of the iceberg. I do. Um, can you explain a little bit about the analogy of the iceberg? And then I'll uh, go into my next question. Yeah. So if you, you know, the brain is a metaphorical pattern matching organ, right? So the brain actually, it's an ancient brain and it uses metaphors to make sense of the world, right? We, everything we do is in metaphor. That's what the brain does. And so and it matches patterns from one thing to the other thing. And it's a very simple process. So I use the metaphor of the iceberg to help this complex topic of human nature when I talk about our human nature. So think about the iceberg. Picture an iceberg in your mind. And at the tip of the iceberg, above the waterline, the part you can see, that's the modern world. That's where you and I live in Tampa. It's the Zoom calls. It's the cash flow reports. It's the myriad meetings that you do each day. It's baseball practice after school. It's binge watching Game of Thrones. It's everything that we do in the modern world. And it's all we know and understand. The problem is that is only about 250 years old at best. A liberal democracy is a couple of hundred years old. The industrial revolution, what, a hundred plus. Um, and even the iPhone or the Android <clears throat> 11, 12 years tops, but look at how that's changed our behavior. It's, you know, it's completely altered it, but yet it's only barely a decade. So what's the rest of our nature though, is the bottom part of that iceberg. It's the part below the waterline and it's thousands and thousands and thousands of years old, depending on your beliefs. I mean, as much as 250,000 years old. And what we've learned through neuroscience and carbon dating and social science is that we really haven't changed in all of those thousands of years. So what's below the surface, our primal self is a meaning seeking, emotional, social storyteller who struggles. We're a mess. And, you know, that's just who we are. And what, what I've come to believe, and I believe is, is foundational for how we lead in hard times is that if we meet people where they are, not where we want them to be, particularly in times of stress, it's below that waterline. It's somewhere in the realm of meaning, emotion, social connection, story, and struggle. Somewhere in there. That's where people live. And if you can connect there, you can actually leverage 10x more outcomes at the tip of the iceberg where the problem is observable. But the real solution is down below the waterline at that bottom part of the iceberg in our primal traditional nature. That does lead me into my next question. So back in the day when we were living underneath the waterline, right? Yeah. Did people have to be trained 
to do to 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 connect with other human beings or or is the reason why we have to be trained to do that now is because all of these other external factors that are like pounding us day after day after day in our modern world and that's it seems great, like it would be natural for me to know how to do this stuff that's that's, you know? that's a great question and in some in some sense it is natural but so there's a two part answer to that so the first part is no we did not have to be trained and in fact that below the waterline um realm of the traditional world is is uh, officially known as status society so it's where one's status determines your worth in life because you're part of a clan or a tribe or an in-group and it's how we survived as humans for thousands and thousands of years we we didn't have the means like other am- mammals did to fight and you know with natural resources like claws or teeth so we had to group and we had to group to survive and to thrive and we got really good at it and we adapted fast with it storytelling adapted from that uh listening adapted from that even the ability to to you know finish your wife's sentences evolved from that and we got really good at it and 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 so it's you know being a connecting uh, the social brain as Matthew Lieberman calls it in his book social is a superpower our ability to be social is a superpower but here's what's happened and there's a lot of research on this a lot of body of work on this basically in the last gosh several hundred years uh we have moved away from our traditional nature to this more modern approach to things and in many cases uh scientists believe the right side of our brain which is the more uh relational contextual part of our brain that was always dominant has given way to the left hemisphere which is all about material things having things controlling things which is the left brain is used a lot today in mass technology mm-hmm. in abstract thinking transactions and so we've become this like uber transactional contractual society and then when you add social media to it where basically everything that we do divides us by in groups and out groups right in social media 24 hour news cycle we only hang out with the people who are think like us, believe like us and then anybody who has a differing opinion whereas at one time in a tribal council or even 20 years ago our grandparents would have a civil discussion mm-hmm. you know at a town hall now you absolutely destroy that person on Twitter or you destroy them on Facebook you know and it is a character assassination and it comes from both sides so we've created this society that rewards that that rewards individualism to a fault to where now like our 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 connection to our to the collective to the group is almost non-existent unless it's a group just like us our stories that we tell as americans about ourselves have gone away um our sense of social capital our tangible linkages that societies need to hold them together have now given way to in groups and out groups it's tribal So we've basically modernized ourselves away from our own nature and our own hubris and arrogance causes us to think that we're beyond all of those realities below the waterline and the irony in that Todd if you look around look at you know the election look at the way people responded uh in the in in the racial tensions like we have become more primal and more divisive and conflict ridden than at any point in recent modern history 
So I think that the punishment that the universe has for us of, of separating ourselves from that bottom part of the iceberg is it comes to visit us in spades and it puts mm-hmm. us into that trance-like state and we don't even know it. Because mm-hmm. we're that, in it all the time, right? If, we're if in it all the time right. and people don't even realize it. That you know, I had a family reunion last year and I was sitting with this wonderful little lady who's part of our family and she was just raging on her political opponent. And it was the most uncharacteristic, bizarre thing. I mean, she was showing teeth. Yeah. And she's like right. 83. Yeah. You know, I've never seen that. She was in a trance-like state. Yeah. And and this is what's happening to our society. And it's very, very dangerous because it, it I've seen how it ends in these rough places and it ends badly. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things we've been trying to focus on with this podcast and really kind of just a renewed focus at reemployability is I, I like to call it putting people ahead of spreadsheets, right? Yeah. Like, so um, you, I'm sure you've seen the movie Moneyball, right? I love the movie, but the, the theory behind it, I really don't like the fact that we make all our picks based on numbers on a spreadsheet, right? Yeah. Um, and I always feel like, especially from the sales world, that I can look at all the data that you can give me. But at the end of the day, I have to sit down and talk to somebody. Absolutely. Right? That, that's, there's two parts to everything. There's data and then there's the just the, the unknown, the, 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 subject, the subjective, right? It, not right. everything is objective. And so we're really trying to focus and help people like adjusters and risk managers look beyond the spreadsheet and look at people individuals. So can you, you know, high level, some, some techniques, strategies that people can use if, if we have an adjuster that's kind of buying into this idea now and isn't just managing their cases based on the numbers on a spreadsheet, but really want to make it a more human experience and, and truly help people because, because adjusters, risk managers, you have the ability to affect people's lives on a daily basis. If you look at them as human beings. What are some of the real high-level things that people can start with to try to more humanize what it is that they do on a daily basis if they're bought into this and want to do it? Yeah, so let's just take what we just talked about with the iceberg and let's just bring it right home to an adjuster. What does an adjuster have to do if not influence the person across from them? Right. Right. The need to influence and impact is Mm -hmm. is tremendous. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And now let's add to the fact is, you know, when... When an adjuster rolls in, oftentimes there are external factors that have caused things to be attenuated or higher. The emotional stress is higher, right? So the emotional temperature is higher. So what is that person across? It could be in a trance-like state, right? They're already at a baseline. There, there's anger. There's fear. And and so how do you how do you move them in a direction that you want them to go? At the end of the day, every human on the planet is a goal-oriented creature trying to get other humans to to go along with their goals. Mm-hmm. So at the most fundamental level, that's what's going on there. Okay, well, is 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 data or spreadsheets going to influence the person across from me, particularly someone in a trance-like state, right, who has all kinds of emotional stuff going on? No. It's like million-dollar consultant Alan Weiss says, logic makes people think, but emotion makes people act. And relationships are the best conductors of emotions. And that is a truth, a principle from that below the waterline that is thousands and thousands and thousands of years old. And even in the most dangerous places on earth, Todd, when I would go into these tribal societies and I've got to try to get a couple of elders to go up on their rooftop and fight, I have no authority over them. I can't coerce them. I can talk logic to them all day long. 
It's only when I can meet them below the waterline, establish rapport, build a connection, and then when they feel reciprocity towards me, they'll climb that ladder and they'll fight. And I've seen it work over and over and over again. What you're talking about, putting relationships before spreadsheets, I say relationships before transactions, Mm -hmm. that is a trust accelerant. It's proven. The neuroscience backs it up. And to put anything in front of that on the left brain transactional side, you are leaving value on the table and you are diminishing your influence 10x in any situation. But we start that from a practical standpoint. We start that by getting ourselves in the right frame of mind first, right? I'm, I'd say I'm an adjuster. I'm going to get on the phone to talk to one of my claimants and it's an injured worker who has been out for you know a month. They've got a bad back and I need to tell them that um, something about their 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 money or, you know, whatever it is that I have to tell them about, right? I can't go into that conversation all hyped up being like, I'm going to tell this guy right now what's going on, right? I have to get into that sympathetic state. So let's just look, let's just break it down. Like I, I, I'll give your listeners what I think is a very actionable approach to those moments that, okay, it starts with, you know, it starts with preparation. Every engagement we do, begins with how we prepare. From the moment we know we're going to do that engagement, I want to go into like what I call attunement. I want to start to focus on the other party. And what should be upset, what I should be obsessing over are two things. What are my goals and what are their goals? I've got to know that. And it's going to, you know, it's not going to be the same every time. Even if you're an adjuster and you do, you know, replicable work, it's never going to be the same. Like your goals might be fairly consistent, but their goals are all over the place. Mm. And what I've learned through human influence is if I don't know the goals of the other party, how can I influence them? How can I move them? How can I? And if they and they know that they know if I don't know what their goals are or not. That's why a lot of times when people come in and they're prescriptive about something, here's what you need to do. You need to do this, this and this. And you're like, dude, you don't even know what my goals are. So shut up. Like, you know, you don't you don't feel at all heard. Right. So I right out of the gate in preparation, I want to ask myself, what are my goals? And then I want to ask myself, what are their goals? And I want to try to make some assumptions, do some research, do some digging in and find out what are their goals. And then then when I actually get into the engagement, I'm going to I'm going to give some techniques that I think would help. The first thing is when you get in the engagement, whether it's remote or in physical proximity, make a human connection first. Because as humans, we're social creatures. And if you don't make a human connection first, then the rest of your transactional stuff is going to fall flat and maybe even be offensive. And what do I mean by human connection? It, you'll know when you have it. Like, for example, for some, it might be uh, just small talk. It might be a firm handshake. It might be just sitting with the person and asking how their family is. But make that connection first. And when you make it, We have that internal barometer. It's like a click on a metallic safe right before it opens. Like, no, you have it. Okay, cool. That's my intention. I want that human connection. I have it. Now let's move to the next thing. The next thing I want to get to is what are the pictures in their head? I want to know what the pictures are in their head. This is where most people go the other way. I'm telling you to go different. Most people go right into their shtick. I don't want to do that. I want to get clear on the pictures in their head. What are their goals? 
I had some assumptions on it, but I really want to know, like, am I right? What are their goals? And what's their pain associated with those goals? And until I'm clear on that, I'm not relevant. I'm not in a position to do anything except just bark at them, right? But if if I pursue that through engagement, open-ended questions, and I'm just, hey, what are you, you know, getting at their goals and then getting clear on what the pain points are that they're facing in relation to their goals, it's a trust accelerant. It brings emotional temperature down. It validates their identity and it gives me the goods. It lets me know, wow, this is what they value. This is what their pain is. This is what they value. This is what their pain is. And once I have that, now I'm relevant and relatable and I'm in a position and they're ready to listen. And then I can start to move into, um, you know, what it is that I would, and I usually start it with, would it be okay? Based on what I've heard here, this, I think this is what you said that you value. This is what you say your pain is. Do I have that right? Yeah, that's right. Okay. Would it be all right if I share with you this, you know, and then you can start to get to your goals and they'll have that level of reciprocity a lot of times that they're ready to do that. And, and just that general approach, Todd, like almost no one does that, but that's a below the waterline approach. And it, what it results in ultimately, and I'll end it there, is reciprocity, where the other party feels valued, they feel heard, it's authentic, they know that you have a sense of who they are, what they value, and what their pain is, and they are much more likely to listen to what the heck you have to say. So that'll do it for another week on REA Audio. If you have any comments or suggestions for an upcoming episode, please let us know. You can email Todd at reemployability.com. Also, you can follow REA Audio on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also check out more content at listentorea.com. We're going to finish up with Scott next week, continuing to learn practical, below-the-waterline actions you can take today to improve the relevance and relatability you have with clients, coworkers, friends, family, and everyone you come into contact with. Have a great rest of your week.